you know, I think of flexibility is what I'm looking for, you know, that, that we could really respond and, and emulate all these incredible first responders in a way, like be the artistic first responders. Hello, and welcome to Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Rob Kramer, founder and CEO of Kramer Leadership, whose mission is to advance leaders for the greater good. And I'm Carlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, brought to you by the Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Pierre Carlo, can you please tell us about who our guest is today? I would be delighted to. She is Marin Alsop, one of the world's most accomplished and respected symphonic conductors. Now, here's the problem. If, if Rob and I were to list even a third of her accomplishments, our episode would be hours long. So we're going to have to stick to the very <laughs> essentials. She, she has such an amazing career. She recently assumed the title of Music Director Laureate and Orchids Founder at the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra after having led the renowned institution for 14 years. In 2020, she was also named Chief Conductor and Curator of Chicago's Ravinia Festival, a position she'll maintain as she continues her tenure as Chief Conductor of the ORF Vienna Radio Symphony Orchestra. That's a lot. And there's more. Marin is admired not only for her conducting skills, but also her commitment to making classical music, from the classical repertoire to contemporary work, accessible and enjoyable to a broad uh, an audience as possible. And ultimately, the MacArthur Foundation recognized her community-enriching efforts by granting her a prestigious Genius Fellowship. To this day, she remains the only conductor to receive the honor. One of her proudest accomplishments has been the founding of the celebrated Orc Kids, as Pierre Carlo mentioned. And this is a program at BSO, which is year-round, during and after school. It's a music program designed to create social change and nurture promising futures for youth in Baltimore City neighborhoods. And Marin broke a glass ceiling when she became the first woman to lead a major American orchestra. And she has worked hard to ensure that plenty of women follow her into the profession. In 2002, she created a fellowship to mentor, support, and promote women conductors as they advance in their professional careers. The Taki Alsop Conducting Fellowship can now proudly boast that 18 of its laureates are now leading orchestras all over the world. Marin spoke to us from her home in Baltimore. We asked her to tell us about an upcoming project she was particularly excited about. Oh, I have a lot of uh, exciting projects to look forward to. Um, there's a global project I was launching in 2020 um, to celebrate the 250th anniversary of Beethoven's birth uh, called the Global Ode to Joy. And all of my partner um, organizations on six different continents didn't want to let the project go, especially at this moment in human history where unity and tolerance and joy are so important. So I'm pursuing that project, um, again, still on six continents, which is very exciting. And um, it'll launch uh, in 21 in Vienna um, and on April 15th. So it's a reimagining of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony with new text and new music added between the movements. It's, it's very exciting. And it will be done simultaneously globally? No, it'll be do okay. done. Um, it, it won't be simultaneous because each project is entirely different, has a different oh. text, has different interstitial music, because it's really, we're trying to capture the flavor and the character of each community um, in which it's performed. So 
it's different everywhere. It's very exciting. So that's which is why you have different text in each right, location. Right. Interesting. Exactly. So that's that's one project. But I think for every I speak for everyone everyone when I say getting back in the concert hall and feeling each other, you know, feeling the orchestra, feeling the sound, feeling the audience reaction. I think that's what we're all longing for in whatever whatever form it takes. So twenty twenty clearly created a lot of disruption for all of us. Um extensively in the arts, of course. Do you get a clear sense of what those disruptions did to your field, what you'd like to see change in the field as a result of that? Any aspects of the system that you'd want to reinvent or fix? Well, I mean, I I think it's been devastating for a lot of artists, and and that's extremely disheartening and, and distressing. You know, I guess because of my, I don't know, maybe I was just born this way, or, or maybe it is, you know, having been the sort of a lonely woman in this field for so long, I really try to look at the upside always and try to envision the possibilities that can come from adversity. And the things I see are very encouraging. Um, I've long been an um, advocate for online digital content and having the ability to connect with a broader audience um, in a more casual way. And, you know, I, I really am a great believer in demystifying um, art so that everyone feels an ownership and an access and a sense of inclusion. And so I think this really catapulted, finally, um, at least my field, the orchestral music, into not just considering, but actually implementing digital concerts, um, digital content, starting to think about all of those things that I think the classical music world was resisting for as long as possible. Uh, And so I see a huge upside of keeping that connection and that outreach as part of our broader picture. You mentioned the digital platform. Are are there other ways that you imagine your field evolving as a result of, of the events of 2020? And, and what's your experience about the resistance that your field has to doing some of these changes? Well, I, I think that um, it has been a, a sticking point in a lot of contract negotiations, I, I mean, particularly in the United States. Um, I think it's a hangover from the old days of recording where there, you know, you could actually monetize for for the players and for the orchestras recordings but but those days are long gone and so i think it was trying to hang on to a system that was outdated and and really part of the past so i think that um coming into the 21st i mean at least the 20th century if not the 21st <laughs> century um for orchestras is a great step forward um and and also it it was such a quick um, ramp up that I think, you know, everybody made a lot of mistakes, myself included. And, but we all learned together and it was, it felt like a all hands on deck kind of approach to trying this. And, and, you know, sometimes out of desperation, great things come. And and that's how I feel about this. I've I've watched musicians grow into um, being, real personalities, being able to communicate, 
online, being able to reach out, not just through their playing, but also through their speaking. And, you know, it's, so I think it's really, it's really opened up the idea of how we connect um, through music. And, and I think this bodes well for the future. What about, because of course you were, you had, you had several organizations and orchestras in your career. What about in the future might keep these institutions financially above water? What might need to change to make sure they can survive the next crisis? Well, I think, at least from my perspective, I think there's often a tendency when when things are going along at a predictable rate to to hang on to the system we know and to not innovate, to not evolve, to not have those discussions. And I would say that this pandemic, you know, kicked all of that into gear that, okay, now let's, let's actually entertain all these crazy ideas. Let's, let's communicate with our players. Let's see what their thoughts are. I think there's a much more um, vibrant and uh, ongoing discussion now with the players. You know, you have, you have a wealth of brilliant artists on your roster and who, who are, you know, barely participate in the, in the discussion process. So I think this really opened that up. So my, my thought is, uh, and my hope is, uh, and my advice would be not to try to run back to what was, but to try to stay on this path of, um, discourse, innovation, inclusion. You know, I think also the whole, um, the whole social movement, uh, finally about diversity and inequality and inequity in our field, I think has been, um, really a revelation and it's something that we need to, we've needed to address for a long time. I've been a huge, um, huge proponent of, of, of that discussion, of course, over the years. And, um, you know, here we are finally again, catapulted into action. And my thought is, you know, keep acting, keep moving forward, keep figuring out how we can change the future landscape, not, not how we can get back to the old landscape. Keep the things about the old landscape that were fantastic and move on is my advice. How do you sustain that kind of momentum? How do you get people's buy-in to want to continue on that track and not fall into the old habits of just going back to the way things were? Yeah, well, that's a you know that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, I I think that you know you have to have great leadership, and uh, that may vary. You have to have, I think, an urgency, and you have to not be complacent. Whether those characteristics and qualities are there, I I don't really know. It may vary from institution to institution. Uh, I'm sure it will actually, but. I think, I think generally, we've passed the tipping point. You know, it's not a toe in the water. We we have a couple legs in the water now, mm-hmm. and I think I, I I don't see it going back. Um, you know, I, when the Me Too movement broke out and suddenly people were clamoring to have women on the podium, I, I was so thrilled. You know, it but it was almost as though it had to build up for decades you know, centuries even, until suddenly something 
broke the wall, like the Berlin Wall coming down, you know? It, that was so unexpected, wasn't it? Everybody's like, oh, mm-hmm. why didn't this happen before? Hmm, who knew? <laughs> so I feel the same way um, about women on the podium, that now I, we've passed the point where or institutions are going to go back to the old way because now women are part of the, the landscape and women of every, you know, every color, every size, every, you know, every age, this is what's really critical. So once you get things to that point, you know, and I, I certainly hope that orchestras um, 10 years from now will look dramatically different and really reflect the makeup of the community in which they reside. Um, at the moment, they don't. Uh, and and I, I look forward to that future. This is sort of a future-focused question, but if you had three magic beans and you could apply them any way you want to create the types of change or new innovations or changing people's minds, what would be three ways you would apply these three magic beans? Mm, well, if we're speaking specifically about my field, um, I think that all concerts would be free. Mm. I mean, this is assuming it, it is possible. Yeah, mm-hmm. all concerts would be free to the public. I mean, free, always free. Nice. <laughs> um, we would be able to quickly go to areas that are in need of music. You know, whether it's out to communities or. Um, or to travel somewhere to perform, you know, I think a flexibility is what I'm looking for, you know, that, that we could really respond and, and emulate all these incredible first responders in a way, like be the artistic first responders. Mm. (laughs) Um, I love that. And let's see the third one. um, I guess for me, it, it would be about community engagement and involvement. And I'd love to see, this is a very specific um, dream. I'd love to see the super talented kids from our Orchids program here in Baltimore playing with the symphony and, you know, create kind of an apprenticeship program so that it's not just about artistic perfection, but it's also about giving back because this is really critical to me, I think, um, in the world we live in. and and. When, when my time is up, I want to not just think, oh, I, you know, I, I, I did a lot in the field of music. I, I want to feel that um, I connected on a, on a broader, broader plane, if possible. Where did your courage as a leader come from? Oh, I don't know. I think I was just born stupid or stubborn. <laughs> I, mean, I was born stubborn. I think that's it. My, you know, I think I think courage is is something that we each develop in our own way. But I do think that we're all born with a certain tolerance um, and a, for courage and a certain tolerance for um, a certain level of, of <laughs> some people can take it and some people can't, you know, and, and I respect that too. I, I don't, I, I don't judge people based on that, but I do think that um, courage is something that we need to, encourage in our children. We need to set examples for young people that are not kowtowing to the wrong and are not trying to support 
um, systems of inequality, but instead are promoting the kind of values that we want the world to reflect. One of the most important things to me is where where are the green orchestras? You know, what, we have to be part of this climate discussion. We have to be part of the future. Um, we have to be part of the important issues. And of course, art is always a reflection of important issues. And how can we be part of the solution? And be open to hearing other people's opinions. You know, that that's a very, very important thing. I, I find sometimes I'm I'm too quick to judge. I, I try and, you know, for this new year, um, which is a such a spectacular <laughs> relief to hit, um, I'm trying to be more of a listener and and really, really be open to everybody's ideas. I, I think I try to live my life um, adhering to a philosophy that, you know, it was hard for me so that it could be easier for you. <laughs> and that's how I try to live my life. Um, and, you know, the things that I discovered as a child that, you know, piano was not my instrument. I hated the piano and I, I retired when I was six years old. But the fact that I then picked up a violin six months later and fell in love with it made me realize every child needs to have that opportunity to find their instrument. I mean, this is just a small example. So that was one of the um, founding premises of the ORCIDS program, that kids get to try different instruments for six weeks at a time. I'll never forget this young man um, named Tyrone, and they brought in the basses, the double basses, and he ran to this double bass as though it was, you know, his long-lost twin brother. Hmm. I mean, he, he knew that that was his instrument which is highly unusual, but that just reinforced, you know, my belief that every child needs to have access and, and the capacity to make choices for themselves. This is so important to me. It's very complex and very simple at the same time. The future is all about the young people and how do we want to invest in, in bringing them into what we do? I mean, they don't have to be classical musicians at all. But music is an incredible vehicle for self-discovery, for imagination, for connecting, for conflict resolution, all of these things. And it's nonpartisan, which is fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) What would you tell a young female conductor coming up through the ranks right now? Uh, What advice do you think would be most useful to her in this new landscape? Oh, I would say, well, fantastic, you know, congratulations, and your timing is excellent. <laughs> um, but I would give the same advice to to young women as I give to young men, too, which is that you have to be passionate about this. And if if there's a moment in time when it's not rewarding and you don't love what you're doing, um, you know, in an existential kind of way, don't do it anymore. <laughs> you know, I, I really believe that there are callings for people as well. And some are stronger than others. But I do think that we have to be led by passion and, you know, a driving commitment. And I'm I'm very much a um, sort of Horatio Alger kind of person that I, I, I believe that if you work 
really hard. You will succeed. I, you know, I have no doubt about it. And success is something that I hate to measure because success for one person could be entirely different, uh, could look entirely different from success for another person. You know, there's so many needs in the world. There's so many places. There's so much room for everybody that success doesn't mean necessarily being the music director of the Baltimore Symphony. It, it can mean, you know, conducting a youth orchestra in your town with the kind of fervor and passion and commitment that changes all of these young people's lives. And to me, that person is as successful as I am. I really love talking to Marin Pierre Carlo. I thought she's um, clearly uh, visible and uh, articulate in where she wants to go and what she's accomplishing. Um, her track record is immaculate. Um, and I think, you know, in our conversation, it sort of seemed like we were starting to tease out for her the connection between things that she's already thinking about and now starting to make actionable. So for example, uh, I really appreciated she talking about um, continuing to develop dialogue among mm -hmm. uh, orchestral artists and leaders, uh, obviously with the uh, DEI movement uh, that's going on to, to make that a regular part of the conversation and just to not allow herself or her industry to slip back into the way things were. The sad thing, if I can call it sad, is now that she is no longer the music director at Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, there's there's one less female music director of a major American orchestra. Right. And uh, it just made me think about how institutions do respond to audience feedback mm. and how, um, I don't have the hard figures for this, but I do know that the majority, this is certainly true in theater, and I imagine in symphonies, the majority of ticket buyers, great majority, are female. And yet uh, a minority of the work they see are female produced, conducted, or written or created. I think it's time for not only an art restart, but an audience restart. Mm, and I love that. By which I mean that I, I would so love for audiences to not regard the institutions, the artistic institutions in their communities as the final arbiters of culture, but as, as partners. Mm. Um, and the way to do that is to be responsive that the, the majority of letters I think that cultural leaders receive are uh, letters of complaint <laughs> from old time um, consumers and ticket buyers. Mm -hmm. I remember at the theater, we always, whenever we produced a play with a lot of swear words, we would get tons mm -hmm. of hate mail. Mm -hmm. What we got less of is the letter saying that play you produced by a woman or that piece of music they pr produced by a woman or was conducted by a woman meant so much to me and my daughter. Yeah, I would love to see more. And these institutions are beholden to their ticket holders, but if they only hear from one section of their communities, guess what? Nothing's going to change. So right. this is my plea to you yes. to, uh, to let your institutions know what you want to see more of. Yeah, engage each other. Don't just expect the institution to engage the consumer, but go both ways. And it also sounds like the kind of embedded behind that, Pierre Carlo, and tell me if I'm wrong, is the need for sort of a, a shared listening tour in both directions. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's right.
Well, she was fantastic. Uh, just an incredible agent for change. What a really a remarkable artist. And we'll be speaking with equally remarkable change makers and artists in our upcoming episodes. So please be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating if you're so inclined. If you admire an artist in your community who's changing the status quo in their field and in the surrounding community, please let us know. You can find me on Twitter at PC Talenti. Yes, I finally joined Twitter. Or you can leave us a message on Facebook at Creative Catalyst. If you'd like to learn more about Marin and read a longer version of the interview, please visit uncsa.edu slash art restart. Special thanks to Maria Veris. Our theme music is by the Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Rob Kramer. And I'm Piercarlo Talenti. Thanks for listening. <laughs>